Fred Mill. Hi, this is Susie Pomerantz, and I wanted to welcome you to the call. I think we just had somebody dial in. You want to say hello real quick? Hi, it's Fred Mail. How are you? Hi, Fred. Welcome. Good. How are you? Good. Quite good. Good. So I'm just, I want to welcome everybody to the call, and I'm really excited that you're here. This is the Leading Coaches Center Mastermind Call. And I know that there are lots of other meaningful things that you could be doing with your time this morning or this afternoon. And I really appreciate you all for choosing to be here. And you really have done yourself a great favor because um, Jeremy Robinson is with us. And he is not only brilliant, but he's funny and fun. And I will introduce him more fully in a few minutes. But I just want to give a few um, logistical details. One is this call is being recorded. Uh, we will post it in the Leaders Clubhouse after the fact, so you can always access it if you have to drop off or do something else during the call, but we hope you'll stick around and contribute to the call. And if you need to mute yourself, we're going to keep everybody unmuted so we can engage and be in dialogue, but if you need to mute yourself, it's just star six, and you'll have to remember to star six to unmute yourself so that we can hear you again. And... Um, and we are using the Facebook page, the Leading Coaches Center Facebook page, while we're on the call so that we can interact with each other, ask questions, say hello. Um, and you can see that Jeremy's on there with us posting. And and um, and then actually, Taya, I just see that uh, a comment from Bill who says he's not able to get through on that number. So we may be having some technical difficulties. That might be where people are. Um, okay. So... Um, and I just wanted to give everyone a chance who has been able to get through to say hello and check. Hello? Oh, thought I heard someone talking. Okay. So oh, it's somebody some. And say hello. And if you'll just say your name and um, one thing about you, then uh, then we'll move on and I'll introduce Jeremy and we can get cracking. So um, whoever would like to go first, just check in, say hello and um, let us know something about you. Who's going to well, start? Go ahead. Hi, this is Margaret Carey, and I live in Washington, D.C., and coach physicians. Hey, Carey Schleifer, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I published Choice, the magazine of professional coaching. Woohoo! You always have the power of choice. That's right. I'm Jenna. I'm from Massachusetts, and I coach adults with ADHD. Great. Fred Mail, based in Baltimore, do coaching and do consulting to government and private sector. Wayne, Wayne Kasky from Baltimore. I coach CEOs and entrepreneurs. I'm Tom Finn. I am the author of a book called Are You Clueless? And I think I may be clueless as I try to get on the Facebook page. I'm still searching around here, Susie. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thanks, Tom. I'll, so really the thing to do, if you're on Facebook and you're logged in to your own Facebook account, up in the search bar, if you type in Leading Coaches Center, Right. It will show you the Leading Coaches Center Facebook page, and then you can just click on there, and we're on the wall part of the page um, where there's. you might have to toggle it 
um, to it'll either show just what Leading Coaches Center is posting, or you click on the thing that says everyone, and then print most. If you click on that, you'll be able to see what everyone's posting. Yeah, and another way to access that, you can always click through. I think I have the actual link to this page posted on the Leading Coaches Center under the Members Only page if you want to go in that way. And welcome to those who have just joined us. We're just doing a quick check-in, so um, if you haven't yet said hello, please say your name and one thing about you and let us know who you are. Who's next? Hello. Hello, this is Holly hello. in Northern California. Hi, welcome. And tell us one thing about yourself, Holly. Uh, I'm a um, corporate coach working in uh, in the uh, Northern California area. Great. And let me just ask Bill, were you able to get in on the call yet? No, not yet. Okay, so I think some people may be having trouble with the um, dial-in. So we may have some folks joining us a little bit later. If not, they'll just listen to the recording. Does anyone else want to check in and say hello before I introduce Jeremy? Going once, <laughs> going twice. Oh, it's going to be one of those calls. Okay. <laughs> well, no, it's I'm not. thrilled that it you're all not. here. It is not. No, I know it's not because I know most of the folks on the call. So we have a lively group, and it's. I'm really thrilled that you're all here, and you're in for a real treat. Jeremy is a master, master, master coach. He's one of the pioneers in the field of executive coaching. Um, he's got more than two decades of experience uh, as a coach, and he's done all kinds of wonderful faculty, dean, academia kinds of positions too. So um, he's been the, he was the co-academic director at Wharton for the Wharton Executive Coaching Program, which is at University of Pennsylvania. Um, he's been dean for the Executive Coach Academy for quite some time. And uh, he's a faculty member at iCoach's professional coaching program at Baruch College. And didn't you also, aren't you also faculty at Columbia? Yeah, Jeremy? I did that for a little while. I'm not affiliated with them anymore. Okay, but yeah, also, so, you know, not too shabby in the uh, academia department. And his book, Becoming an, Exec an Exceptional Executive Coach, uh, How to Use Your Knowledge, Experience, and Intuition to Help Leaders Excel, is co-authored with um, some of his colleagues from the iCoach program. And he also does a lot of supervising executive coaches and consultants, and he does that by phone and via Skype all over the U.S. as well as Asia and Europe. He's a master certified coach with the ICF. He's also got a certificate in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. And he mostly coaches CEOs, but he'll tell you all about that. And Jeremy and I met more than 10 years ago, probably about a dozen years ago, at the Executive Coaching Summit. And um, Jeremy invited me way back, more than 10 years ago, to teach a teleclass at the Executive Coach Academy. And it, it, much, <laughs> much against my will, at the time I only believed teaching happened face-to-face -face in front of the room. But Jeremy would talk to me into this bizarre form of teaching called leading a teleclass. Um, so he's a visionary ahead of his time when it comes to integrating technology with his work and a real commitment to education, particularly in our field. 
And one of the things that I particularly have always appreciated and loved about Jeremy is his sense of humor, which I'm sure you will hear throughout this call. Um, and so you're in for a real treat today. And Jeremy, I'm just so delighted that you agreed to come and talk with us and join this call and can't wait to hear where we go with today's conversation. Susie, I'm very grateful to be uh, invited by you and grateful for all you folks who are attending. Hopefully this gets to be a nice dialogue where we're going back and forth and, you know, you don't all get, get lulled to sleep by the sound of my voice. Um, so just remember to uh, say your name before or after your comment and feel free to interrupt me at uh, any point. Um, yes. Um, it's a good journey uh, going back and uh, thinking about that. I mean, you know, it, uh, using the telephone technology, it's like uh, this is pretty obvious, but um, there's been, a, I guess, a fair amount of resistance in the executive coaching field, and now I think more and more people are coming around. But it's, it's still best if you can have, I think, uh, at least initially face-to-face -face comments with folks that you're coaching, although I do find I'm, I'm doing some coaching where just, N not meeting the people at all face to face these days is just uh, stuff on the phone because that's that's what the bu budget from the organization is. What I what I had uh, planned to do really is just as uh, really an icebreaker, uh, just uh, peel off. It was going to be a quick ten points, but I got carried away, so I, I came up to like twenty nine or thirty points about. Uh, conversational ideas about coaching, just to sort of get the conversation started, uh, maybe inject a little bit of crispness into the conversation as well as humor. So why don't I just uh, go through uh, about 10 or 15 of these, uh, then I'll, I'll look back to you guys. Feel free to comment. Feel free to disagree, dialogue. Some of it's pretty obvious stuff. Some of it's maybe has a, 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 another level of conversation we'd like to get into, but uh, uh, let me just uh, roll through the list. So um, some important points I find in terms of coaching and professionalizing and practices uh, have a, by the way, I, I, I forgot to apologize in advance for the sirens in the background. I'm, I'm in New York, so it's self-explanatory. <laughs> Uh, I was in Tucson, Arizona once for eight days, and I heard a siren, and I realized I've been there for eight days, I hadn't heard a siren, so that's the difference. They have a lot of sand there also that helps. So have a point of view. The coach with a hypothesis about what's going on in his client's life is 100 times more useful than a coach who only asks questions. Two, ask good questions. After that, don't try to ask better questions. Remember, better is always the enemy of good. Three. The most wonderful sound of good coaching, I think, has a baseline of silence, so be prepared to self-regulate and go silent all the time. It's good to punctuate your meaningful remarks of your client and yourself with silence. It's harder to do that than on the phone, however. <laughs> most coaches, <laughs> coaches over-talk, right? We are just can't shut ourselves up sometimes, but it's good to be silent also. It's trickier to do that on the phone. Be clear about who the client is. Is that the person in front of you or the organization? Clarity about the client is what makes for the best boundaries in coaching, and good boundaries in coaching make good coaching possible. Uh, seven, never argue with your client. Never. Instead, influence. 
a, always have a teachable point of view and always be prepared to have another teachable point of view in your back pocket if the first one flops with your client. Nine, speak the language of your client in terms of her vocabulary. You don't have to be a content expert in what your client does, but you do need to know the vocabulary of your client's world. Ten, great coaching is about going from having a strong sense of self as the coach and a big presence to no ego and completely merging with the client, all in a nanosecond. I'll be happy to discuss that one. Eleven, coaching is always about getting results. If you're going for insights versus results, you're on the wrong train. Twelve, be wary of clients who are great talkers. A lot of talking that clients do is propaganda, yada, 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 so what? Always keep your ears and eyes on the client's behavior. How is she behaving? What's changing or not changing? Fourteen, forget about your coaching client's politics. Some of the most interesting coaching clients have the most nauseating politics. It's not what you're there for. The use of self is everything in coaching, so pay attention to how you use yourself. I'm going to stop right there, and then I can do my other 14 or whatever afterwards. Feel free to jump in, please. Well, that's a lot all at once. My goodness, I feel like we could discuss each one of those for a full hour. <laughs> yeah. Very interested in that. Don't go for insights versus results. We're looking forward to hearing more on that one. And that is, say your name again, please. This is Tom Finn. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Um, yeah, okay. Um, my 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 learning over my career has been, as, as Susie mentioned, I, you know, practice as a psychotherapist for many years, and in the course of that, I believe that uh, people, by getting insights, would change their behavior, which did work, but it took a long time. Um, so what I've learned in the course of my coaching work, which, by the way, started, my first coaching assignment was 1980. Uh, I actually did my, my um, psychoanalytic training program. I coached a social worker at Jacoby Hospital, and I worked with her boss and I coached her for three months. She'd gotten a no promotion, and um, I didn't do a 360, but I coached her in her, her new role and also spoke to her boss and wrote a paper about it. But uh, what I learned subsequently is that it, the insight is really interesting, but really what we're after is getting results, right, and behavior change. So I found that people are getting a lot more insights uh, after they've changed behaviors, not before. Mm-hmm. So um, it's more efficient. And besides, that's what we're there for anyway. I mean, it's 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 great if you know it's 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 a wonderful feeling to have a aha moment, and if, especially if a aha moment is followed by a ha ha moment, which is not uncommon. But the the real deal here is the uh, keep your eye on the behavior change, and and it's also tricky because. Sometimes people who are great talkers um, are really uh, moving further and further away from the behavior change the more they talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With you there, too. <laughs> Seen that one. Huh? You got a good story about that one lately? Oh, my God. I, just so many times. It's just my antenna go up uh, right away as the talking goes on. So I'll be silent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that can be – I think that's powerful. Anything else anybody wants to challenge or agree with or comment on, please go for it. 
I like so many of these. I, I tried, this is Susie. I tried to capture them on the Facebook page, but I might have missed a couple. Um, but I, I, the very first one out of the box, I agree very strongly with. You said to have a point of view. You know, they're not just paying you to ask questions. And um, I love that you started with that one because that's something that I have always felt pretty strongly about. And I know that that's in direct conflict to um, sort of what the ICF has defined as pure coaching. Yeah. So I wonder if uh, anyone wants to dialogue about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to jump in and represent the other side. Please go for it. I'll tell you what my thinking comes from. Um, I, and 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 there there are there's the ICF and there's actually a school which will of coaching which um, does up to a point good coach training in terms of telling coaches to ask powerful questions and facilitate and I, I mean I think that I don't mean to minimize that I think that that is very very important it's also very important in the in, in the in the self discipline of the coach of being able to disappear. It's very important for a coach to have no ego. These are important traits, but that's only half the battle. I mean, but it is a very important half the battle. If you don't have that capability, the ability to ask good questions and not be while the client can be and be able to be a, a superb facilitator, then you're going to be stuck as a coach. But you're equally going to be stuck as a coach if you don't have a point of view, because yeah. all you can do is ask questions. And you can't synthesize what the client is saying. And you can't come up with a hypothesis which is going to extend their, uh, their goals or their dilemma and then uh, result in them having greater pattern recognition by your having greater pa pattern recognition. You haven't really furthered the conversation. And you really haven't added a professional level. So. Uh, unfortunately, what I think of this kind of coaching as, you know, the question asking coaching is it's it's good beginning coaching. It's beginning coaching. So so essentially, um, th that's the level of a good beginner or maybe good intermediate level coach, but that's that's not an expert level. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, just a, at a practical level, I also think that. Um, my clients, executives, corporate leaders, even government leaders, they're they're not paying for me to just ask them questions, right? Like they they're paying for some um, knowledge or direction or advice or guidance. So I think it's I think it, um, we're doing a disservice to our clients if we're just asking questions. Yeah, I agree. Uh, somebody else wanted to say something. Also, jump in, please. Yeah, Jerry, this uh, is. Uh, Jeremy, this is Wayne Chasky. One of the things that after a session or two that comes up for me is not only a sense of what the client's saying, but also a sense of what their capability or destiny may be. And so I'm really asking, I may be asking questions, but they come from what that sense is. So I really have a position regarding not only who they are, but who they might be. And so I, I agree with you. I think that I mean it's. Uh, I mean I would um, not be <clears throat> not be true to my own sense of who the client might be if I didn't proceed from that point of view. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Wayne. It's nice to hear your voice, um, and uh, I, I like the way you've outlined that kind of very intuitive space that you have sometimes in helping uh, your client dream 
for his or her development. I think that that's a wonderful capability that you utilize as a coach, and I definitely agree with that. By the way, uh, the idea that behind every question is a statement does not originate with me. That comes directly out of this teaching of Fritz, Fritz Perls, who is the founder of Gestalt Psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. So, but also, uh, don't you think some of your best questions come from what the client is saying? You know, it's not that you come equipped with great questions for the whole conversation. It's that it's an integrative building process, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and, you know, they sometimes if we're really hooked into the question, we have to ask ourselves, am I asking this for, for me or for them, right? So sometimes we might ask a question, you know, for instance, like um, somebody says, you know, my mother died. And uh, we ask, how old was she? Well, who are we asking that question for? Uh, the client knows how old her mother her mother was, right? So mm-hmm. she doesn't need to she doesn't she doesn't need to say you know something about the age of her mother because that's for us. Um, so sometimes we also need to pay attention to who we're asking for. Is that for us or for them? So let me just uh, roll through the other fifteen and then we can uh, play back some of this um, and uh, have even <laughs> they have even more. Uh, thoughts about some of the stuff. Um, all executive coaches, I believe, should have at least two years of uh, supervision at different points in their career, uh, and that supervision and, or coaching for the coach is a vital part of the week work. Uh, if you don't have it, I think that you become dangerous as a coach. Sharp goals make for good coaching process, especially early on. Goals in executive coaching often morph as the client changes, the boss changes, or the organization changes. And uh, obviously, we need to be prepared with those changes. It's crucial to, uh, for the coaching process to have tension. The way a sail allows a certain tension and being able to maximize the wind and carrying the boat across the water. If you're too friendly with a client and you don't have enough tension in the process, the coaching process will become flat and meaningless. On the other hand, if coaching is too tension-filled and without play, the coaching experience will become uninhabitable for everyone. So another point that we need to remember is not to steamroll, not to steamroll your client about his or her goals. You'll turn into a nagging parent. Most of us have enough parents already. Uh, yeah. So we want to keep our ears on the underlying dilemma that's playing as the client articulates her goals. Understand the dilemma and you get the client. Understand only the goals and you lose the client. I'd be happy to come back to that. Be prepared to be a total empath with your client, especially during the tough times, but that doesn't mean you be- need to become a mushball. Remember to drive the process. And the coach is always in charge of the process, and sometimes we forget that, and sometimes we forget that in organizations, that we have an expertise in the process, and we need to be very mindful of that with people in organizations who are also maybe know something about the process, but usually not some, the same amount that we know. It doesn't mean we need to be arrogant, but it does mean, mean we need to be firm. Uh, back to the point of the mush ball, there's no crying in baseball, but crying in coaching is good. It means there's feeling going on. Uh, and here's one for the, for the record books. Never coach someone who has a borderline personality disorder unless you don't mind getting sued. 
keep your priorities straight, create unfair advantages for yourself and how you contract your coaching so both you and your client have the best chance of winning rather than losing. And um, uh, uh, <laughs> with a nod towards my one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, two lines from that movie, never try to win a land war in Southeast Asia, and also never go up against the Sicilian when death is on the line. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, Vassini says in his, uh, the scene when they take the poison, if you remember that one. So please, uh, let's go for it. Uh, jump in, agree, disagree, whatever you like. Tell about your stories, your experiences. Jeremy, this is Fred. Yes. Yeah. When you have clients... When you have clients who are so low on inside introspection and just want you to drag them through or, or program them, how do you balance out the equation? I get very concrete along with them. So uh, part of speaking their language is since they're very concrete, that's where I meet them, and I, t I try to get very structured. And I actually, with those people, usually give them a curriculum for the coaching. So that they, you know, they want marching orders. Okay, they're going to get marching orders. Sometimes I think we forget, um, and most coaches don't, including myself, provide nearly as much guidance about what's involved in the coaching process. What are the steps? What happens in this session? What happens in the second session? So on and so forth. And the client arrives, you know, fairly anxious and uh, discombobulated and, as all people are, in change experiences, ambivalent about the coaching process. And the more clarity we can build into that, the better. And for the concrete client that you described, Fred, I think um, mm -hmm. uh, to get on that person's page is going to maximize their capability in, in getting to um, uh, their results. Now, that brings up another point which I wanted to touch on when we I uh, had this discussion around questions. Sometimes, sometimes, inevitably, good coaches do uh, transcend into the role of being a consultant. And, and unlike the ICF's um, statement on this, this is not a terrible thing. This is something that happens. So part of having a teachable point of view, for instance, for me, around something like emotional intelligence means I do in the course of any coaching assignment a certain amount of teaching. I know quite a bit about emotional intelligence. I know about, quite a bit about emotional intelligence domain. So I'm trying to translate this for my client and there's some teaching, maybe you might want to call it consulting, in the process and conveying some of this information. What I, what I do need to watch, though, or what any coach needs to watch in sliding back and forth in terms of delivering a capability or a component or a module that I have expertise in is that I don't stay in that mode. So what does this mean? What are, what, are, what are some signals that I'm staying in that mode? Signals are when I'm becoming advisory. That's, that's the biggest signal. I'm becoming advisory. And I'm becoming a, a, a font of wisdom and, 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 and constantly um, expressing my advice to my client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, it's Gary in Toronto. I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about your feelings about uh, supervision. Um, recently in Choice Magazine, we published an article by Sam House and a colleague 
about the difference between supervision and mentoring, and we don't know a lot about that in North America it's for coaching. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, in the U.K., I think they require um, most coaches, executive coaches, and I think other kinds of coaches to have ongoing supervision for many years. And that sort of comes out of the field of uh, the mental health field. I think it's a good practice because it's based on a kind of apprenticeship model of learning from somebody who's been there before. And the, the model of supervision is learning to see beyond yourself. So you use the supervisor not necessarily to tell you what to do, but to see the, see the road to have another set of eyes, to have another set of looking at a process. And what it does, I think, is it respects that in coaching there is an organic process that when we we adhere to that, we can see where, where, where we're sort of like adhering to that process. And when we're straying from it or getting away from it, we can see that also. Now, when you are first... Um, out there and doing coaching, you don't necessarily have a sense of uh, that uh, organic process. You might have a sense of the cadence of, of your work. You might have a sense of the rhythm of how your client is working, but it's not necessarily true that you have a sense of a change process and an organic process and what goes where. So that's where I think the, the supervision comes in especially. I think that part of the difference between uh, supervision and, and mentoring is that supervision is directly related to a coaching a case coaching experience and tracking that with a, a coach and a supervisor over time. Now, mentoring can more be more about the broader uh, things that you're doing in your career, um, and it might be um, advice about what you should do about marketing. Uh, coaching uh, supervision might include some of that also, but a fair amount, uh, I think, of um, Coaching supervision should just cover some of the basics of what I call the kind of clinical stuff that goes on and the actual uh, session-by-session uh, experience of, of uh, the work that the coach is doing. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, definitely, and, and then it leads, just leads to one more. So what resources do we have in North America, or do we have to call on the the UK and Europe and other places for uh, supervision support. Uh, I think I think that's a good point. I think that uh, I think it's it's a capability that uh, we probably need to increase in North America. I think that there are some coaches who do spend a fair amount of time doing supervision, but not enough. I don't think enough coaches who are training in coaching pay attention to that. It's really a matter of they think about, you know, how they can develop the business and all the commercial aspects, and that's, that's important. But if you share my belief that the most important thing about being successful in establishing a coaching practice is doing good work, then the supervision becomes a vital part of your uh, development of your commercial capability as well as um, your capability to uh, conduct yourself as a coach. And uh, this is Susie. I just want to pipe in here with a resource um, that I know about called ReciproCoach. So if you are looking for a place to be in sort of an organized structure around getting coach supervision, you can go to ReciproCoach and find out about their process. Um, 
the woman who heads it up, I believe, is Australian, Dr. Karen Griffith. And uh, I just posted the link on our Facebook page for Richard for Coach. That's great. Do other people have some links as well? Something else I'd like to encourage people to do is um, super coaching supervision groups. That's something that I've been doing for a couple of years where I have um, a couple of supervisees. I try to keep it small, under five, on a phone call, say, a couple times a month for about an hour and a half, and we'll discuss cases together and, and a couple of articles together. And uh, doing it in the group uh, lends to a nice um, group dynamic, and it keeps the cost down a little bit for folks as well. Other comments? Uh Things you want to bring up, go for it. Uh, Jerry, this is Holly. Um, I, I agree about the supervision. As I started out training as a clinician, I think that's something that most coaches don't necessarily think about uh, as being important to their practice. Um, could you say a little bit more? Uh, you said something about creating unfair advantages for yourself and the client, and I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit more. Okay, thank you. Great question. Um, so part of what, what, what uh, we as coaches experience on a daily basis is what my colleague and friend Bob Lee calls CFA. So what is CFA? CFA is cash flow anxiety, and that is a driver. That's real. So what CFA does to us is variable, and one of the things it does for, to us that's unfortunate sometimes is that it, it makes us um, make decisions about things that maybe we shouldn't make decisions about. So invariably, I find that the even though I want to be proactive and I want to be fast and I want to be responsive, some of the best coaching contracts, um, especially with new organizations that don't have sophistication or familiarity with coaching, get written where you take more time and care in, in, in making sure things are as clear as possible. So that's one thing in the contracting process, to take your time and make sure things are covered and make sure things are explained. So part of what, what I mean by having an unfair advantage is that. So how can I set up the coaching so I'm doing it, I'm speaking myself generically as myself as coach, I could be talking for all of you, that, that I'm going to be able to get to the results that the client wants in six months. So if I take on a goal for a client which is too big a piece of the salami and we're not going to get there and I'm not able to reframe that goal or not able to push back and I've uh, engaged myself in that contract because I'm, I have CFA and I, ha I want to be pleasing the client and I want to get into this organization, I'm actually coaching myself out of the organization, ironically, and I'm, I'm not serving the client either. So sometimes, you know, we need to slow down to go fast. We need to pay attention to uh, a doable goal. We need to pay attention to a behavioral goal, and we need to arrange things so that um, we have the best advantage of, uh, first of all, always, you know, do no harm to the client. That almost goes without saying, right? Um, but second of all, our, our client getting their goals uh, manifested in the coaching, which will lead, lead to her having increased visibility 
increased uh, ability to um, uh, increase her alignment with uh, her boss and other upper management stakeholders. And uh, you know that's that's a, that's a goal I want to be on board for. Does that answer your question, or is it not specific enough? No, no, that's good. Thank you. So, so one of uh, what I call a minimum daily requirement for coaching should be for the coaching client to increase her alignment with her direct reports and with the boss. That should happen in every coaching engagement, regardless of what other goal you do. Now. You know, there are things that come up in coaching which we're all very familiar with that, you know, uh, people are very busy these days. Executives in large corporations not only have two jobs, they have three jobs. They see a coach that shows up on the scene and all of a sudden, you know, the boss of our client thinks, oh, good, I, <laughs> I'll let the coach sort of manage the, my direct report for now and I'll just sort of like do my other work. So um, we be, need to be, right, how, how many people have experienced that? I mean, not directly, that doesn't get said, but. Oh, yeah. The yeah. coach, the, the, the manager sort of like takes the hiatus, right? Yeah, I have that for the, the, uh, the boss is the coach, so he uh, sees me that way. I'm sorry? I said the boss happens to be a coach. Oh, really? So, yeah, so he sees me that way automatically. Uh-huh. Yeah. So 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 even though we're not hired to to you know be coaching the boss, I think we have to do a little bit of coaching with the boss there to uh re-energize him or her and re-engage them in the process and talk about how we're going to be, you know, looping them in and getting their input into the client's goals and, and obviously the content is not necessarily visible to the boss, but all the process is and, and the changing goals are very much visible. So we need to we need to have that person uh by our side and by the side of our client because she needs that boss to be able to uh get her work done and accelerate her career also. So we need to we need to keep that energized. And we're when 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 and, and, and the other thing is um probably this should have been on my list also and this definitely comes from clinical practice, is when we have a sense that something is going off, we need to get there first. So, if, for instance, in this situation, if we have a sense that the boss is starting to go, you know, missing, then we need to get there first and do something about that, either with with the client reengaging the boss, which is the preferred solution, I think, or with us reengaging the boss, or the HR partner reengaging the boss, so that it doesn't. If because if we sense it's happening, it's already happened, right? Usually, unless we're hearing things, which is not frequent. And then we need to get there first. And it's and the client has got like two jobs, and she's busy, and she's not going to do it, and she doesn't even know what we're supposed to be doing in this coaching business. So we're we're in charge of the process, and we got to keep that process driving forward. And when it's off, when it's, when it starts to be off a little bit, pretty soon, you know, a, a couple of weeks, a month, now it's really off. Now 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 we have a have a problem. Similarly, um, in in terms of the coaching conversations, when we have a strong feeling that there's stuff that the that the coaching client is disappointed about, or we're getting a process where we're getting a lot of cancellations, and it doesn't really uh, add up in our mind, and 
things are not adding up that way. We need to ask a question about that. We need to be alive to bring that up first, even though your modus operandi might be in a coaching session for the client to coach, to the client to speak first, or the client to bring his or her agenda to the coaching session. In those cases, I abandon that um, that process, and I say, yeah, I, I, I want to get your agenda, I have my agenda, but I also want to speak about this one thing first, and, and, and that's that um, it seems like we're sort of going off course here, and this has happened, and that's happened, and this thing happened over there, and I was wondering what your uh, thoughts or experience of that were at the time. What's been your experience with that? Anything? Should we go to another slide? <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy, this is Fred. Yeah, Fred. Go ahead. Um, when, when a client checks out by email and just says it's not working out or something, do you try to pursue it, try to find out more what's going on? Do you just look in the mirror? How do you deal with that? All of the above. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it definitely means that something happened before then. Right? I understand. So um, part, part, part of what might have happened before then is we didn't reach the client to say, you know, if you have something to say to me, I really want to hear from you, you know, either by phone or in person. Uh, email is good, but it's asynchronous communication, and it's not really going to cut it if we're going to have a dialogue here. So um, uh, it's, um, I mean, you know, that, that happens. I mean, there's, People out there, you know, we also swing and miss sometimes. But mm -hmm. that um, usually, you know, that's a sign either that happened very early on uh, where we didn't develop the relationship or something went off course uh, before that time and um, we were not able to prevail. I mean, that sometimes happens because, you know, you're getting cancellation here or there. Uh, but uh, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about, about why we need to get there first, right? So at least mm -hmm. you can at least you can engage at least you can engage the client's ambivalence about what he is doing in the coaching. As people articulate their ambivalence, they may still decide that they want to stop coaching or it's not working for them or whatever. But at least they have a process, and they at least have a process that's involved with the relationship of most human beings. So we live in a society, right, which is increasingly technological. So one of my things that I always think in my head is high-tech, high-touch. The more technological we become with each other, the more we're missing a sense of involvement, a sense of relationship with each other, right? So we need mm -hmm. to help our clients correct that because um, it's not going to get any better on its own. It's, not one of these things, it's like one of these things that, you know, if you keep asking questions, it's not going to necessarily help. They need to know that they need to engage the R over T, T, the relationship over task, in their world if they're going to be effective with other human beings, right? Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, this is Wayne. One of yeah. the things that I do to try to meet this situation is after two or three months of coaching, I send the client a form which says coaching evaluation and redesign. Yep. And there are about, there are about eight or ten questions in that form and I've actually been surprised both ways. I've been surprised where clients, where I thought it was things were going well and they really weren't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been surprised 
where I thought things were really not going well at all, and the client was very happy. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. Anything you can do to facilitate the communication with somebody who you might think you have a good relationship, but maybe you don't, or maybe you do have a relationship and there's just a lot of trust and they can make it better, I think that's 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 an awesome thing to do. I, I do something maybe not quite that innovative. I, I do a uh, coaching um, development plan. For the client, after I do the, um, I almost don't even like to call it a 360 because the, the organizations call these 360s. Uh, I do an executive assessment of all these folks. It's a customized Q&A, and then I feed it back to the client. After I feed it back to the client, then I sit down, I write this coaching development report. Then the client redoes it uh, if they have the mind to, and they punch in their behavioral components of that uh, coaching development plan and a timeline, and then and then what I do is I don't we, that becomes a one public document or uh, to the organization to the boss, and um, we don't take it to the boss yet because I learned to do something else with it, which is to rehearse it, because I'm clearly wanting my client to, if possible, wow the boss with the presentation of that coaching development plan. We have a meeting then when the when the client is is sort of rehearsed a little bit. Um, I facilitate the meeting, the client leads the meeting, the, the boss is involved with the meeting, and there, there's a deliverable there, the coaching development plan has been presented, the boss gives a further input, there's a timeline, and uh, we use that for our, the, the spine of the coaching going forward in terms of a plan. But it is another check-in point. I, I do like what you're doing there, Wayne, though, very much. I did want to bring up also, Wayne, because uh, this, I think, is in your remit also, um, what are your thoughts about um, a coaching a leader in, uh, in, a, in an organization of an entire enterprise or part of an enterprise? Um, my thought is that, um, that we actually coach leaders sometimes in a different way than we would do uh, coaching with somebody who's um, a high potential or vice president or executive vice president in a large organization. Right. And I do that. Because um, most of the time, a person who is, in fact, a leader of of an organization or of a business within the organization has a great deal of discretion. And uh, they may not be using it all, uh, but they do have it. It, it. it goes with the power in the organization. And that doesn't mean there are different constituencies. But yep. they still have a lot of leeway and a lot of discretion. And so uh, <clears throat> at times I'll be uh, significantly more challenging with them Yep. because I know they've got the discretion. Yep. And it may be that they're not using or not realizing the power they have, or if uh, they do realize it, there's something internal and it's occasionally external, but mostly internal that's holding them back. So I tend to be um, – to be more vigorous uh, with uh, with those kind of leaders. Yeah, I think that's a great word. It's a great description, vigorous. I, I completely agree with what you said. Do other people have a point of view on that in terms of coaching a leader of a small company or a division or even a large company? I, this is Susie, and I, I tend to find that the difference is, is not so much in the vigor or approach because they all have their scotomas. You know, we've all got our blind spots no matter where we are in the organization. Well, that's but a I good think word. I think I just learned a new word. Sorry. 
Go ahead. Sorry. Scotoma. <laughs> yeah, the blind spot. So, but I think if we're in another, I think when we're dealing with the top leaders, there's a strategic implementation factor that I factor in, which is, you know, there's the awareness piece of every time they open their mouths, it's having an impact that they may not be aware of in terms of how it's perceived and what that then translates into in terms of behaviors and results. And checking alignment to see if that's aligned with strategically what they've been intending or planning and if their actions, you know, it's really more about helping them with alignment and integration across the board so that all of their actions and behaviors and communications are aligned with who they want to be as a leader, where they want the organization to go. Um, it's, I think it's just broader, right? It's broader and deeper, I think, than it may be with someone who's at a different level in the organization. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that also. I, what I was thinking, though, was that, you know, say if we have in our sort of standard, if you have a standard uh, remit in terms of coaching, that we're going to do, you know, a couple of assessments, we're going to do a 360 or, as I call it, an executive assessment, we're going to do a coaching development plan. Um, you don't do any of those things, or I don't do any of those things with CEO. I mean, I might, I might suggest, I might, encouraged, but I'm, I have to be prepared to throw all that stuff out the window and just be in the moment yeah. with the person because they have a need for immediacy. They don't necessarily want the complication of this. They don't necessarily – they almost never want the involvement of an HR person, um, and they don't necessarily want the survey. So that means I have to be able to be, you know, um, a little crisper, you know, to Wayne's point, a little more vigorous sometimes. I think that they do want a level of challenge. I think that they do want a, a level of being able to provide a fierce conversation, or that's been my experience anyway. Um, and uh, it does uh, make for some uh, kind of interesting uh, moments and interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think we also we do slide back into, because they're used to dealing with the McKinsey's of the world, and you know the experts of their world, they they just sort of say they're expecting us to deliver a certain expert remit. So maybe we we might have to do that sometimes, but then we also have to shut up other times and push them to think about it in a way that maybe they're not used to doing. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Other other things and that we need to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, w I would love to know um, if, if these are the kinds of things that you talk about in your book, and could you just share with us a little bit about the book and, and um, your hopes and dreams for where you want to take that? Ah, thank you for the book plug. So there is a chapter on leadership exactly uh, paralleling this conversation in the book. I forget which chapter it is. Uh, really what, what we wanted to do the book for was as a reference for the field. So, yeah, it's nice if we could sell a lot of copies of the book, but we thought that we should put together the book because we didn't know that there was a book out there, maybe I'm just not well read, uh, that really summarized all the different elements of coaching on executive coaching level. For instance, the book is very specific about engagement management of the process from the very beginning. It talks about not just the coach, and not just the client, but it talks about the boss. It talks about all the different stakeholders. It talks about all those kind of little elements of the process from an engagement perspective on a big and little level. And there's also a component of the book where, you know, this is my line in the sand, where there's a conversation with a supervisor on a case, and it discusses some of the dilemmas 
that the uh, coach has been experiencing and how, how, how uh, the supervisor has a perspective on that. So really what I wanted the book for and what I would like the book to be, my dream, would be to be by everybody's desk who does a, a good job on executive coaching and also sometimes uh, by a person who is, a, say, an HR generalist in a large organization or an HR person in a small organization who wants to bring coaching into the organization and wants to be able to use some aspect and engage some experts say, so what do I need to do this well? What, what, what's, it, what's it look like to have this engagement process? What's it look like to do this contracting? What do I do? What do I do in terms of vetting coaches? What do I do in terms of uh, having good alignment uh, with the coach and the client? How should I be doing that? So that you know that's there to use this as a kind of reference and, and not necessarily read it chapter after chapter, but just dip into you know like one of PDI's books on um, you know becoming a successful manager. Be able to dip into the book as a resource and use as needed for anybody in an organization or for a coaching client or, or for a manager who's having one of uh, her direct reports coached. That's great. And I just posted the link to your book. So if anybody's interested on the Facebook page, we've got a link where you can actually go. It's really cool. It's like this flip technology. So you can actually flip through the book and check it out at this website. So. Um, that link is posted for you on the Facebook page, and you can check out Jeremy's awesome book. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cool. Jeremy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, email is good, ceocoachrobinson at gmail.com. Happy to dialogue further. Excellent. And does anyone else have any um, announcements or final thoughts or questions or comments or dialogue points before we wrap up? As I always like to say when I do calls, oh my God, that was like the tip of the iceberg. I'm so glad you captured everything, Susie, and uh, you're right about Jeremy. He's got a good sense of humor. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy I didn't disappoint there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was a great, oh Jeremy. Goodness. Thank Actually, you so you much. Yeah. Yes, really good. Yeah, and um, Gary and Jeremy, I'd love for you two to connect, actually, because I think there's lots of opportunities for you guys to explore stuff, too, in terms of um, Gary is the head of Choice Magazine and building a choice village, um, which I think, Jeremy, you probably have a lot to contribute to as well. Thank you, Susie. So I think you two should hook up. Yeah. Well, and, Susie, um, and please, if you could give me that email again in an email, just do a cyber intro for us, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, Thanks. okay. And um Jeremy, do you have any qualms with me posting your email address on the Facebook page? Not at all. I appreciate it very much. I thank you. I'm grateful. Oh, there we go. That solves that one. Thanks, Susie. Thanks, Jeremy. CEO Coach. Wait, what was it? Jeremy at CEO Coach? CEO Coach Robinson at gmail.com. There you go. Okay. And the name of the book one more time? Uh, becoming an Exceptional Executive Coach, and then there's some other words after that. Uh, there's actually a funny story behind that. I don't know. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not so funny. Uh, we just wanted to call it Becoming an Executive Coach because that's what we think it is. But the publisher wanted uh, exceptional in there, and then the publisher wanted all these other words in there because apparently that's what the marketing department tells people to publish books these days. The more words, the better. <laughs> yeah, they always have ideas about it. But it, it's it, it's really a great, um, I think, and much needed book because I don't think there's anything else like that out there. 
Um, and I am just really delighted and honored that you joined us and shared so much of your insights with us, Jeremy, and um, I'm just happy that everyone could be here. And I will post the recording once we have it. Um, but really just wish you all the best with everything that you've got going on with all of your faculty positions and deanships and <laughs> the book and everything you've got going on. And, um, and really great to hear your voice again. And thank you for this wonderful call packed full of insights, which are posted on the Facebook page. All right back at you. I'm very grateful to be part of uh, your call. And what you're doing is wonderful. And, and thanks to all for uh, uh, adding to a really what I thought was an interesting conversation. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And um, the next Leading Coaches Mastermind call is going to be in December. And we are going to have Mari Smith, who also has a new book out about the new relationship marketing, dealing with social media expertise. And she's going to be joining us on December 13th. And we'll post a bunch of stuff about her. But if you haven't had any experience with Mari Smith, um, holy cow, she is just a vital, energetic, very sparkly uh, human being, and I know you'll get a lot out of that conversation, too. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, everybody, for being here, and we'll look Thanks, forward Susie. to um, hearing you next month. Thanks to you, Susie. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Thank Jeremy. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.